And if you're going to win souls, you've got to love souls. In spite of their meanness, in spite of the way they look, in spite of everything, you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them, because Jesus loved them, and because Jesus died for them, and you're trying to bring them to the Son of God. My story, well, it won't wow you. I don't have a testimony of being saved from a life of drugs. I, I didn't grow up on the streets. I, I wasn't a, in a gang. I wasn't a troubled child. I, I never spent a night in jail. I've, I've never had a drop of liquor, never had a puff of cigarettes, never had a, uh, what do you call it, a hit of drugs. I've never been to a casino. My story, my testimony, it just won't, it won't wow you. It's not something where I came from terrible circumstances to where I am today. But this is my story. This is how I grew up and how I was saved. Thank you for listening to Sandy Creek Stirrings. I'm your host, Joshua Jimenez. And today I just want to start a little a little something, and we'll see how it goes from here. And I just want to tell you my story, the story of my life and how I grew up, and things that happened in my life, and things that I learned along the way in my life. You know, I love listening to preachers, and I love listening to testimonies where they came from terrible things to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, becoming preachers or whatever. I love hearing those testimonies. Those testimonies are phenomenal. And sometimes as I approach my testimony, I feel like I need a a big circumstance to have happened. I need some trials and troubles that I went through and things, you know, and terrible things that I did. And, you know, the reality is, is each person's story is a little different. Each person, the way they came to salvation and their salvation testimonies is different. It's individual to them. It is, after all, their story. You know, one of the things that I love when we do the testimony or the interviews, rather, on our podcast, the interviews that we've had with uh, men like Dr. Scott Cottle, Evangelist Dave Summerdorf, Pastor Dave McCoy, of course, my pastor, Pastor Patrick Jimenez, um, their testimonies are so phenomenal in how they came to the Lord. And sometimes I feel like I need a story. I need a, a situation for how I came to the Lord. But the truth is, why? It's my story. It's my story, and I'm glad for what God has done in my life. And so today, and I don't know how long this will go on. We'll see if you even enjoy it. We'll see what kind of feedback I get. And uh, But I just want to tell you my story and some things that I have learned along life's way in the short time that I've lived. You've heard some of my testimony, and if you're a listener, you've been listening any length of time, you know I was born in uh, June 27th, 1996, on Keesler Air Force Base. My dad was stationed in the Air Force. He was a dentist. And um, I always say he won He won the war one tooth at a time. And um, so my dad was a dentist, but he surrendered to preach and was getting out of the military. And I was born there on Keesler Air Force Base. I wasn't born into a divided home. I wasn't born into a home that was... Um, I, I wasn't born into a fatherless home. I wasn't born into a motherless home. I was born into a wonderful home, a, a home where the family was doing everything they could to, to serve God. I was born in a wonderful Christian home, and God definitely blessed me in the way that I was able to grow up and where I was born. But I was born on Keesler Air Force Base in Biloxi, Mississippi, and um, I don't remember anything. 
<laughs> I'm sure you don't remember anything from the time you were born either. Of course, memories don't start that early. But we moved shortly after I was born. We moved, I think it would have been, oh, I don't know when it would have been for sure, but I know I was just a young little toddler, and we moved to Carthage, Missouri. We were going there. My dad was going to begin training for the ministry, and um, he went to go be under the pastorate of, a, of an evangelist who had just taken a church, a Crossroads Baptist Church in Carthage, Missouri. And that man's name was Dr. Jim Brown. And uh, he took that church and began growing it. And so my dad knew that the Lord wanted wanted him to go there and to learn from that great man of God. And so my dad worked a full-time job, worked the ministries, and also went to a Bible institute at night to begin learning about the ministry and about being a preacher. And it was while there in Carthage, Missouri, that I truly began to grow up from a toddler. We were there until I was about, I think, just a little into age six, I think it was. And it was there in Carthage, Missouri, that I made the greatest decision I could ever make. Um, It truly was the greatest decision I could ever make, the greatest decision that you'll ever make with your life. It's the time that I got saved. It's where I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart and Jesus Christ saved me. He took me from that sinking ship destined for hell and instead moved me to where I would be going to heaven. The lifeboat came along, as the song says, the lifeboat. The lifeboat came along, and Jesus threw out the life ring, and he rescued me. And he's got a different place for me to go, rather than to sink with the ship to hell. And it was a time where I realized my sin. You know, when you ask me, you know, what led to my salvation? You know, what what happened for me to realize that I needed to get saved? I don't take you and say, well, I grew up in church. That's, that's not how I got saved. I don't tell you how I went to so many Bible studies. It's not how I got saved. I don't tell you how, I, um, how I'm a good person. That's not how you get saved. I don't tell you that I was baptized. That's not how you get saved. I don't tell you that I was born into a wonderful Christian home. It's not how you get saved. You see, so many times I hear people who you ask them, well, tell me how you got saved. Tell me how you came to understand your need of a Savior. And they'll tell me, well, I, I grew up in church, so I kind of always knew. Uh, no, no, no. How, how did you get saved? Well, I, I was born into a Christian family, and we, we all believed in God. You know what that tells me, just frankly? That tells me they're not saved. Because a person who is saved knows what it means to be saved. I was talking to a young man one time, and I said, you know, he was telling me that he had gotten saved, and I said, what does it mean to be saved? He said, I don't know. I don't know what it means to be saved. I asked him, I said, how can you get saved and not even know what it means to get saved then? It's something I'm worried that so many people are trusting in the way they were raised, the church they went to, how many church activities they did during the week, how good of a person they are, or something somebody just told them to do. And they're trusting in all those things. That's not salvation. I remember as a young boy, I was only three and a half years old. Yes, that's very young. Uh, Most children don't understand salvation or their need for a Savior at such a young age. I'm a, I'm a rare exception, and um, but I remember as a three-and-a-half-year-old boy understanding these things. You know, there's some things that you need to understand in regards to salvation. I'm not going to dive into all of them today. We have a wonderful episode on what is biblical salvation. I think it's episode number—ooh, I'm going off the top of my head. I think it's episode number five. 
I think it's episode number five. It might be episode number four. And what is biblical salvation? Go back and listen to that. If you're unsure about your salvation, you need to go back and listen to that episode. But I remember as a young boy, three and a half years old, that I knew that I was lost. I knew that lost people who don't have Jesus Christ, who they're not saved, I knew lost people went to hell. And I knew they were lost because of their sin. They were sinners, so they deserved to go to hell. I knew all that. And I knew that if you simply, that Jesus Christ came and he, he gave himself, I didn't, I, look, there's a whole lot of things that a three and a half year old can't understand, but I knew this, that Jesus came and he died on the cross, and if I asked him into my heart to save me, he would wash away my sin and take me to heaven when I die. I knew that. I understood that. And I remember back in March of 2000, my mom was tucking me in for the night. I still remember I was there in Carthage, Missouri. It was a big wood frame bed. And I mean, just big wood, just four by fours were the bedposts. And um, I remember there was a construction comforter I had. It was blue and it had all these construction guys on it with dump trucks and all those things. You know, what boy doesn't love dump trucks? And um, my mom tucked me in and she walked out of the room. And I remember as a three and a half year old little boy, I called for my dad. I called for my dad. You know what, parents? Let me just stop there and say, yes, I, I, I understand. I am a, Right now, I am a parent of a three-year-old child. I'm a parent of a two-year-old child. They're always asking questions. They're always wanting you, especially around bedtime. But never get to the point where you become so hardened to them calling for you that you don't respond. Because maybe the day that you don't was the day that they wanted to get saved. I remember I called for my dad, and he came in the room, and I told him, Dad, I said, if I died, I'm going to go to hell. I need to get saved. And Dad reviewed the things with me about salvation. He went through the Romans road, Romans 3.23, 6.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 10.13. Um, 10, he went through all those verses, and he explained it to me again to make sure I understood. I said, yes, I know I, I want to ask Jesus Christ to come into my heart and to save me. It was there that night in March of 2000 that I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart. There in Carthage, Missouri, the best decision that I ever made. Look, I'll be frank with you. I didn't spend a, a, a couple nights in jail and realize that I needed to get saved. I didn't come from a life of drugs. I wasn't a homeless person. I, I was born into a wonderful home. But that's how, I got, that's how I got saved. We all get saved in the same way. It's by asking Jesus Christ to come into our heart and save us. But every single person, just like their fingerprints, they're all different. Your story leading up to salvation is different. As I said, my story won't wow you. You won't sit there with your mouth dropped. Wow, that's incredible. But you know what is incredible? That Jesus Christ would save somebody like me. Jesus Christ did that for me. And you know, you say, well, Josh, let me ask you a question. What, what led, how, how did you know as a three-and-a-half-year-old boy, how did you know that you needed to get saved? I mean, that's young. How did you know? And I can point you back to some things in my life that truly allowed me to be able to understand and get saved at such a young age. I, I'll give you a couple things I want you to know today. Number one, I had a, a godly, sold-out family. What do you mean sold out? They were sold out for God. They were sold out for church. I mean, we went to church every time the doors are open, and we even went to church when the doors weren't open. My dad had a key. And uh, so we went to church every time the doors were open. It didn't matter if it was a work day. 
It didn't matter matter if it was the Saturday morning bus meeting. It didn't matter if it was Wednesday night church. It didn't matter if it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday school. It didn't matter if we had a business meeting before Sunday night um, church. It didn't matter. We were there. That's just the way it was. My family was sold out to church. I mean, I can remember as a kid, and you know, I don't know about you, but as a three-year-old, there's there's only so many things. It's more like a snapshot in my mind. It's more like I can see the picture. I can remember a few little things, maybe three-second or five-second videos. I don't know how you interpret it, your, your how your mind works, but that's the way I kind of interpret it. I can see pictures in my head, and I can see like short little snippets of videos. But I clearly remember back in Carthage, Missouri, how they would set up that big old tent. Yeah, and we would have a tent revival. And we would have a tent revival for two weeks. Every night. Two weeks. I remember that. I can still to this day in my mind see the inside of that tent and see how it was set up. I remember we used to have special singing groups come in. Like um, There was a group back then called the Joint Heirs. And I still have, they, they had some tapes. Yes, I'm from that generation that had cassette tapes, and uh, they had tapes that they would um, sell and you could purchase, and um, then I came across some um, some people who had turned those um, those tapes into CDs. You can look them up. You're not going to find them. Uh, just frankly, you can YouTube them all you want. You're not going to find them, and that's how old they were, and they were a smaller group, not as well known, but man, were they great singers, and I've still got some of their um, really two CDs that um, I don't know if they produced any others, but just wonderful CDs, just country singers, and uh, just a piano, and just singing at the top of their lungs. It was good, harmonizing. I mean, good, good singing. I remember there was a uh, man by the name of um, Tim Gordon, and um, what a wonderful singer he was. And he would come, and he would sing. He's now a missionary to India, and uh, Mrs. Gordon, she would uh, play the piano, and they would sing, and he just had a wonderful voice. And I remember they'd get up there and sing. And we'd sing the great old hymns, there's power in the blood, leaning on the everlasting arms, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. I mean, there was great songs we would sing, and then we'd get that preacher up there, and he would preach. You know, sometimes it'd be, um, sometimes it'd be our pastor, Dr. Jim Brown, and boy, he was just a preacher. He could just preach, I'm telling you. And his, to me, I love listening to him because he would always say this word throughout his preaching. He'd say, come on. Come on. If he wasn't getting enough amens, if he wasn't getting a response from the people, he'd say, come on. And everybody would amen him. And it was just great. I loved it. But I can remember those two-week tent revivals. You know what's sad? Most families in churches across America, if we said, hey, we're going to have a two-week tent revival, they wouldn't come. Oh, they'd come for a night, two nights, three nights, maybe three nights out of the week each week. But they wouldn't come every single night. We have, frankly, and I'm just going to put this out there. You may disagree with me. It really doesn't matter. We have, frankly, lost our families who are absolutely sold out for church. And don't get me wrong. There are people in churches across America who are. They're sold out. If you said two-week tent revival, they would be the happiest person alive. So they're both sides of the coin. But I'm afraid that those families who are sold out are fewer and fewer as the days go by. As the days go by, you know, we, um, I, my family was sold out for church, and I remember we worked the ministries together. I was just a three year old boy. I still remember sitting in the hot back seat of a Cadillac, and as somebody had given my dad an old Cadillac, I can still remember sitting in the back of that silver. Um, Cadillac while looking out the window and watching my parents as they would go up to doors on Saturday mornings and visit their bus route. 
I can still remember, I can still see it in my head, the bathroom at Crossroads Baptist Church in Carthage, Missouri, when we would go up there and we would clean the church. I remember those things. I remember when we were building the new building and they were they were strawing the um, strawing the yard for the grass seed and everything. I still remember seeing those hay bales stacked up next to the church. We worked the ministries together. It didn't matter that I was three. They took me along and they showed me the joys of working the ministries together as a family. Christian, one of the best things that you can ever do is to take your family. It doesn't matter how old they are. Take your family, take your children, and work a ministry together. Work the bus ministry together. Go soul winning together. Come up and clean the church together. Hey, your children at three years old can learn how to clean a toilet. Um, Just watch them carefully, but they can learn those things. And the point being is you need to get in and learn how to do ministries together. Learn how to work them together. Learn to run a bus route. Learn to do those things. Learn to sing together and to make those ministry moments important. Because as a godly, sold-out family, you're in church every time the doors are open. It will go far lengths to help your children come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But if you were to ask me about a, a second thing that really pointed me to coming to salvation and understanding it, was I had a, not only a godly sold-out family, but I had a godly nursery worker. And that lady's name was Mrs. Phillips. And uh, Mrs. Phillips was, she was just, she wasn't a babysitter, okay? She was a nursery worker. There's a difference. There's a difference. Some churches run their nursery, and it's a babysitting service. You know, you drop them off, and they just kind of babysit your kids until the service is done. And that's nice. That's fine. Um, But, you know, there's something about recognizing as a nursery worker that a nursery isn't just a babysitting service. It is a ministry. It's a way you can serve. And, in fact, if I can go this far to say this, I believe that the nursery is one of the most important ministries there is within the local church. Besides the preaching, besides the singing, besides all that, if you were to talk about individual ministries, the teens ministry, the singles ministry, the um, the college and career, career ministry, the senior saints ministries, the nursery ministries, the bus ministry, if you were to ask me which one, I would probably say, This is my personal opinion, and who knows? We could have a debate, and maybe I'd change my mind. I don't know. But I would probably say that the nursery is the most valuable ministry that the church has. Because do you realize you are training your children? If you turn it from something from just being a babysitting service into something that we are working this like a ministry— it becomes this vital aspect where we take our children, our one-year-olds, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, some, nur- some nurseries, four-year-olds, and we take those children at that young age and we begin to teach them. And that's how you turn it into a ministry, by the way. You begin teaching them the Word of God. You begin singing songs. You begin helping them to memorize Scripture. You say, can they do that? Absolutely. We've got an episode coming up, and I'm not going to completely announce it um, just yet, but your child can learn memory verses. Liberty, over the past two months, has learned two memory verses. She's learned Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. She's barely three years old. And the point is, they can memorize Scripture at that age. They can begin to understand the stories. And Liberty's getting to that age, my three-year-old daughter, to where she can understand those stories and she can remember things about— She, For some reason, I don't know why. I have no idea why, but she always wants to hear the story of the snake. Um, referring to the Garden of Eden— why that story out of any of them? I don't know. I think we I, I think we did something wrong. Now, that's the story she wants to hear about the snake. Um, but anyway, the point being, they can memorize those stories and they can understand them. And so a nursery worker is vital. 
not just a babysitter, but a nursery worker, somebody who is working the ministry. They take time to plan a lesson. They take time to plan a craft. They take time to plan songs. They run it like any other ministry, just like it's their Sunday school. They plan it, and they run it to make it the most effective thing at capturing the hearts of our young children. You know, the nursery is not only a vital aspect in that way, but it's a vital aspect as when when young families come into a church, and you say, here, let me show you where the nursery is. There's some churches who, frankly, they need to go through and they need to update their their nursery. They need to put on a fresh coat of paint. They need to clean the floors. They need to clean the toys. They just need to update things. Because somebody once said, I think it was um, W.A. Chriswell. I think it was him. Don't quote me. But I think it was W.A. Chriswell who said the nursery is the handshake of your church for young families. And um, you say, what does that mean? It means if you want to extend a warm hearty, welcoming handshake, then have a nursery that is nicely furnished, that is a nice place to walk into, and allow a mom with her babies to go in there. It's like getting a nice, warm, welcoming handshake, saying welcome. Because they want to be confident in the fact that their children are going to be well taken care of. And so the nursery is a vital aspect. And I remember as a young little boy, um, we had a nursery worker by the name of Mrs. Phillips, and she wasn't a babysitter. She was a nursery worker. And she would work every week at helping us to memorize Scripture and telling us stories. And uh, by the way, for kids that age, you cannot expect to tell a nursery story and be like, And Jonah went into the belly of the whale. And Jonah came out three days later. No, you're going to have to tell it animated. You know, Jonah, he went down, and he went down in the water, and the whale came up. Do you know what a whale says? And they don't know what a whale says. So you tell them a whale says, or whatever. You, You get my point. Be animated. And you can do, by the way, parents, you can do this at home, but nursery workers, if you're listening and you work in the nursery, I thank you for your service for God and for working in a ministry that is sometimes just forgotten about, not only in changing the diapers, something that I I have a hard time doing, and uh, I mean, I have a hard time changing my own children's diapers, much less some other kid, um, especially when they're like three. And it's like, oh, okay, all right, we got to change to number two. And uh, so God bless you. You're amazing. And uh, But parents, you can do that at home, learning to tell them stories. And Mrs. Phillips was one of those nursery workers who she cared about you. She knew your name. She knew your middle name. She knew your birthday. She knew what you liked. She knew what you didn't like. She understood all those things, and she was a nursery worker. She worked on connecting with those kids and building them up to where when they were three, when they were four, when they were five, they understood what it meant to be saved and how to get saved. I can point you back to a nursery worker back in a nursery in Carthage, Missouri, back in the early two, uh, late 1990s, early 2000s, who cared about me and said, I want to teach that little boy about God. And while in the nursery, I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart and save me because of a godly sold-out family, a godly nursery worker. I also had a—I'll throw this in there. I also had a godly friend to look up to. You say you were three. How could you have a godly friend to look up to? Mrs. Phillips had a had a uh, a son. I believe at that time he would have been ten years old, and uh, he was older than me by a, a fair amount of time. I think he was ten. And I remember this young man and I. We um, he became my friend. 
Can you imagine what it means to a three-year-old and a four-year-old? They understand the age gap. They know this kid is a lot older to me, older than me. But to have a kid take time as and take time and and invest in you and invest time into you. I remember he would take me, we would be at their house and and he would play with me. He would teach me different things. He would teach me, I, I think we played with Legos. I know we played video games. You know, a three-year-old can't really play a video game. He probably made a lot of records on me. But the point being, he would teach me and he would play with me and we'd play all these different things and we'd go outside and play and he'd keep an eye on me. And as a 10-year-old or as a three-year-old, to have a 10-year-old who cared about me, well, that meant a lot to me. And this young man was a was a very spiritual young man, surrendered to preach, and I remember that I wanted to be like him. He had an influence on me. And you know, something that we sometimes we can forget as a teenager and moving up into the singles and even further in that college and career age group that, you know, take time to invest in the generation coming up behind you. Yeah, they may not be as mature as you. Yeah, they may not understand everything that you understand. Yeah, they may not have been where you are in life. But let me tell you this. You can have an impact on somebody just by coming alongside them and saying, let me be your friend. And it doesn't matter what age you are, really. There's something magical. There's something uh, providential, should I say. Uh, Not magical, something providential about just being a friend to people. But especially as a kid, if you're a teenager listening, find a kid in your church and come alongside them, and you're 15, 16, 17, and they're 7, 8, 9, 10, and come alongside them and see the influence that you can have over a young kid just because you went out of your way to spend time with them to help them. And they're going to want you. And you can have an influence on that younger generation just by spending time with them. There were other things that when I look back at my salvation, what led to my salvation, um, you know, but really, I, I truly believe in my heart, it came down to a godly sold-out family. It came down to a, a godly nursery worker. It came down to a godly friend. I don't have this one. I have some notes sitting in front of me just to kind of refer to, but... I don't have this one written in my notes, but I think I can also point to a a pastor who cared about me. A pastor who knew my name. You see, when um, when we left the Air Force, when we left the military, that was my dad's career goal. That, that was not only my dad's career goal, but it was um, my dad's dad. His name was Grandpa. Um, that was his goal for my dad's life. He was a military guy. He wanted dad to be a military guy. And uh, when we left the military and Dad surrendered to preach, I remember, well, I don't remember, but I know the story. Grandpa kind of was not happy about it. And um, their relationship really kind of severed in that moment. And their relationship would be renewed over the years and things would happen, but I know in that moment, things kind of severed. And I know for my dad, when we went to Carthage, Missouri, and we got out of Dr. Jim Brown. Dr. Jim Brown and his wife, Miss Pat, Miss Pat Brown, she and him pulled us into their family. And they made us like they were family. I could have looked at him and called him Grandpa. That's how close I felt we were. He just took time. He knew me. He knew my name. He knew my joys. He knew all those things. Even as a little three-year-old boy, I had a pastor who took time 
to care about me. Took care, took time to care about me. I remember when we went to uh, Dr. Jim Brown's funeral. We always called him Preacher. That was his name. That's what I called him as a three-year-old boy, Preacher. And um, I remember when we went to his funeral, I would have been, no, 14 or 15, I think. And um, went to his funeral. And I remember we walked in, and they had the viewing and everything. And right after the viewing, the family went to the back of the church, and there was a supper prepared for them. And um, we were exiting, and we were going out the back of the church. We were telling everybody goodbye. And I remember Mrs. Brown came in, and she said, y'all need to come and eat. And uh, we said, no, you know, that's for you. That's for the family. And I remember she looked at us, and she said, you are family. And that's the type of relationship that our pastor had for us. And that can impact. I don't know if I have any pastors listening. If I do, that's kind of a scary thought. And uh, But I don't know if I have any pastors listening, but... If I can make this statement to them, let me encourage you to take time to not only know the mom and the dad, but to know the children as well, and to invest time in them. Invest time in them. So when I look back at how what led to my salvation, I can really point to those four things and say, you know, those were key, critical areas in my life. And your goal as a parent, and my goal as a parent, is to replicate those. I want godly nursery workers in with my children who are going to tell them stories, who are gonna who are gonna help them to grow and help them to understand that they need to get saved. I want to make sure that I'm everything I need to be as their father. And uh, making sure that I'm leading our family to be godly and to be sold out and to help them to work the ministries and to do all those things. I want to make sure that I do everything in my power to help them. And so that's what led to my salvation. Of course, that's not the end of my story. That's the story of my salvation. But, you know, as I continued to grow up, I remember Carthage was just great years. Uh, uh, my two sisters were born there, and uh, the snow was incredible. I'm a big snow guy. I know I live in Florida, and I know a lot of Floridians are probably very upset with me right now. But every year I pray for snow. And um, so I, we saw snow flurries one year, and so that was pretty cool. But I'm a big snow guy. I love snow. I, when I'm in snow, like good snow, like thick snow, like deep snow, I guess it would be, I just, I'm a kid at heart. I, you know, get snowballs, you know, peg everybody with snowballs, you know, build tunnels and everything. It's like becoming a kid again. And so I just love the snow. The snow is great there in Missouri. And uh, I mean, it was just an incredible time, an incredible time. I remember shortly after that, though, in 2002, we moved to uh, Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And uh, my dad became on staff at Central Baptist Church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, became the bus director. And um, we had some great years at Central Baptist as well, and um, great years. I think we were only there, I think it was two or three years, and um, had wonderful times there, grew as a family, and God did wonderful things. I remember, though, that during that time, you remember how I talked about a godly friend in Carthage? At that same time, at a young age, as a six- and seven-year-old in Hattiesburg, I learned the lesson that I can look back and see now, the danger of having wrong friends no matter what the age is. It doesn't matter what age you are. If you have the wrong friends, it's always going to affect you. And I learned that lesson there in Hattiesburg. And we don't have time to continue that story today. I will continue it at some point if you actually want to hear it. And we'll probably continue this, this little story. My story won't wow you. We'll probably continue that at some other time. And I'll continue with that. Uh, what wrong friends can do, even at a young age. And so really, that's the beginning of my story. That's how I came to salvation, the home I was kind of raised in. 
and I'll finish up that story. If you want me to finish that story, then why don't you send me an email, joshua at sandycreekstirrings.com, or you can go to our website, sandycreekstirrings.com, and go to that contact page and simply simply type in the contact page, say, I want to hear the rest of the story. And you know what? We'll see if we'll, we'll tell it at some point. And so make sure to send that in because who knows? We may get some and be like, don't finish the story. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so we might get that as well. You never know. And uh, But if you want to hear the rest of the story, make sure to send that in. Joshua at Sandy Creek Stirrings, or you can go to our contact page on our website. And so that's my story. What's your story? What's your story? Are you sharing your testimony with other people? It's one of the most valuable things you can do. And as you share your story with other people, let me encourage you, my friend, keep looking up and keep stirred up for the cause of Christ.